So I'm guessing you've heard the phrase, them's fighting words before? Yeah? Okay. This week I, I searched on Google to try to find the origins of the phrase, and you know what I learned? Nothing. <laughs> I didn't find anything about, about where it comes from. I saw a lot of posts, though, about what it, what it, what it means, but I don't think I need to look to Google to, to tell me what it means. I want to look to you guys. What, what if I was to say, them's fighting words, what, uh, what, am I, what am I meaning? What am I saying? Yeah. Or maybe stand strong in your belief. Okay, but what, what else? What's that? Like an insult, sure. Or maybe it's something that, yeah, that would, would insult someone or maybe at least, at least prompt some kind of reaction. Maybe negative, something difficult. Sometimes we use this in kind of lighthearted ways. Like, for instance, if come fall, it was a Sunday morning and somebody walked in here in full-on Vikings outfit and it was Packer Viking Sunday, you might say, them's fighting words, right? <laughs> in kind of a lighthearted way, but also it kind of brings out that when we use this phrase, we're not just talking about words, we're talking about actions, things that might prompt a bit of a response. Uh, sometimes uncomfortable, sometimes lighthearted, sometimes actually hostile. We have a lesson today that shows us that as God calls us to live out our lives of faith, while we are certainly not looking for trouble, Sometimes as you live out your life of faith, it might prompt a response. Sometimes there are things that God will call you to say, and it might prompt some discomfort, maybe even hostility. And yet, when we get into this lesson and really work to apply, we can see that it is a beautiful privilege to walk with Christ and embrace a life that is full of them's fighting words. The lesson we have today, it's Mark chapter 11, verses 4 to 6. It says, they went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing in tying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. Now, the lesson we have today, and I mentioned it briefly before when we had our background lessons, is actually from a very well-known account. So it might feel a bit different at first than some of the other lessons we've had. We've had lessons like, say, last week, you know, when we learned about Abigail and... Um, uh, Nabal, and you might go, some people said afterwards, you know, I didn't even know that story. Uh, some of our lessons during this series have been like that. This is a lesson that comes from a context that is pretty familiar, the Palm Sunday account, but it's an aspect that we don't usually stop and look at. As we get to this lesson today, the lesson itself is fairly short. It's fairly to the point. You know, a lot of times we dig into, like, the background and, and the original language and stuff. There's not a, a ton there that we're going to dig into today. It's pretty straightforward. There's not a lot in that aspect of the lesson, but the applications of this lesson are huge. So we're going to spend a lot of time really just thinking about how this lesson applies out in our lives. But in order to get into the lesson, we do need to look a little bit at the immediate context to it. Because as we get towards our lesson, our lesson picks up after Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. And at that point, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you just, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. So they're getting there, they're going to send the colt there, and maybe, or send disciples there to go get the colt, to get the donkey. And this is one of those parts of the Palm Sunday story I'm sure you've heard many times if you've been around church much before, especially on Palm Sunday. But if you pause and think about what Jesus says to them here, 
I don't know, if I was Jesus' disciples, I'd be like, you want me to do, to do what? You want me to just go into, to go into the town in front of us and just snag a donkey? Or just, just, just think about, let's see, uh, um, let's see, do you guys have your car keys on you? No? No, do you, do, let's see, Eileen, do you have your car keys on you? You know what, actually, just put the whole purse down. Yeah, just set it down. Just set it down next to you. Because this this is how this kind of feels to me as I'm thinking about it. Okay, Jesus is speaking. All right, Nate, this is what I want you to do. I want you to just go in there and just just snag snag a purse. Just just do one. Okay. <laughs> what? What? Like how un- like how uncomfortable? Like, like, you know, I'm just thinking about this. Like, you'd be like, he's stealing. Like, I, there, there's, like, it, it would feel wrong, potentially. Like, what are they going to say? Like, if I'm Jesus' disciples, and I know you think, like, that's a don- donkey. This is people, like, this, this is their livelihood, right? This is their animal. This is equivalent to me walking in and snagging Eileen's purse. Thanks, Eileen. You can, you should, I can, you want me to take it off? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's super, the thought of that is super uncomfortable. And Jesus just says to them, I want you to go into the town in front of me and just grab a donkey. Snag one, bring it back. This is a really big ask that Jesus gives to his disciples here. And if I was Jesus' disciples, I'd be like, Jesus, them's fighting words. Because if I go up to try to take, like, if that wasn't just, if I didn't preface that, if I just went up to snag Eileen's purse, I'm sure that Paul would have just roundhouse kicked me in the face. Because <laughs> I would have been like, you know, when I was picking a fight over here. Because what? You don't just go up and snag someone's. But this is what, what Jesus tells his disciples to do. To go and do this thing that is uncomfortable, maybe feels wrong, feels off, and could potentially trigger something like a, a negative response. And now, we often rag on Jesus' disciples, you know, for being cowardly or whatnot. But I got to give them props. They went and did what Jesus told them to do. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? So Jesus' disciples, they go right ahead and grab the colt. They grab that, that, that young donkey. And then the tension builds. The people ask, what are you doing? What are you doing standing, or people who are standing there ask, what are you doing untying that colt? The way the word reads in original language, you can see too, that this, it actually, it says that they began to ask. So it's not like they just asked once, like, what are you doing? Oh, well, whatever, he's taking the colt. This is something that they started doing and continued doing. It kind of reminds me of, uh, of a show that Stella and I watch sometimes, enjoy sometimes. There's a show called Impractical Jokers. Have any of you ever watched it before? Okay, now, anytime I mention, like, a regular, like, TV show, always take it, like, this is not a full-on Pastor A endorsing everything in it. Sometimes they challenge each other to do things that are inappropriate, and they shouldn't. So I'm not saying everything in it is good, okay? Um, but sometimes the things they do are really clean and fun, and so we enjoy, enjoy some of them. And what they try to, what they do often is they challenge each other by saying, all right, I want you to go and do this thing that is super uncomfortable, <laughs> And basically try to see how uncomfortable they can make each other and how, you know, will you, will you go ahead and do this uncomfortable thing? Well, whoever loses at the end of the show gets punished. And often what the punishment is is that they make them do something that isn't just uncomfortable, 
but gets people really upset. And you can just feel the tension building. Like, I was reviewing this morning some of the ones that, that like, their most tense ones, and this is kind of funny that this got so tense. They had one of the guys sit in a bingo room and, like, every minute yell, bingo! And they halted the game and went over to check, and he doesn't have a bingo. And he just kept saying it, had him keep saying it, so that the bingo players finally were just irate. And they actually called for security and got him taken out of the room, okay? Like, you just imagine a room full of angry bingo players. But it was super tense, because the people were getting upset about it, right? That's how this scene should feel. The people, they begin to ask, what do, what do you do? Why, what do, you do? Why, why are you taking the donkey? What, what do you, who are you? What are you doing? What is happening here? This is a really tense scene. But it's what Jesus called them to do. Jesus called them to do something that is fighting words. Now, here's the, the part for us to take and consider. When does Jesus call you, call us, to do or act in a way where the tension really builds. Where when you look at it, it's, you could say, man, them's, them's fighting words. As you think about God calling you to say or do things where the tension builds, we'll talk in a moment about tension from people around us, but we should acknowledge that first of all, and maybe, maybe the biggest tension is not so much from the people around us, but there's a tension that can build inside of us. Because remember, while we are new creations in Christ who love God and, and want to walk God's way, we also have this sinful nature, and there's this battle going on inside here. And in talking with people, I have seen again and again this tension. It makes me think of when uh, I chat with our young people, our teens and young adults. It's one of the things I love about our epic youth ministry on Sunday nights, how I get to just hang out and chat. And one of the things that's always that's struck me over the years is... There is this tension that they have when friends around, and if you're in any of the teens or young people here, think about if this is your experience, where you know God calls you to live a certain way, but there may be people around you who are going to certain parties, who are taking part in certain substances, who are acting in certain ways with people of the opposite sex, or maybe the same one, maybe. And you are looking at what's happening, and there's a tension here where actually you feel like you're supposed to do the same. It's just, it's, I know it may, this seems to me a little bit weird, but there's actually a sense in our world that young people are supposed to do wild, crazy, and honestly stupid stuff. And that if they don't, they're actually not kind of doing their job as young people. I know that seems weird, maybe to an adult, but that's kind of the feeling. Like, like, there's actually like a reverse guilt where they like feel bad for not going. Maybe young people, maybe, maybe think about it, if that's your experience. And maybe it's not. And this is not necessarily everybody. But just a quick side note, too, by the way, adults, one of my biggest pet peeves is when adults complain about teens. Because I've become a firm believer that people tend to live the way you expect them to. Not always, but they tend to. And the more you complain about teens, the more you reinforce this expectation that they're supposed to do rebellious, negative, stupid things. It's part of why whenever we do like epic and camps, I always let kids know, I, you are filled with the Spirit of God. You are a Christian part of the body of Christ. I have expectations that you're going to listen, that you're going to do well, and it's going to go great. And until you prove me otherwise, I'm expecting that from you. 
and it tends to go very well. Not always, but tends to. There's actually an, an expectation in the mind often of younger people that I'm supposed to do these things. And so when you try to live God's way, there's a tension even inside of you that, gosh, is that right? Is that, am I, am I, aren't I supposed to do that stuff? There's a tension inside of you. The tension doesn't go away as you get older, though. The tension shifts to different things. When I talk to other young families at Abiding Shepherd, one of the things, and I don't know if it's our world as a whole or maybe it's something that's more prominent here because Cottage Grove is kind of more of a suburban, Madison setting or whatnot, but there seems to be a sense in our world that in order to really do right by your kids, you have to let your kids, make sure your kids can be part of every activity imaginable. They got to be able to be in dance and then play violin and then go to soccer practice and then gymnastics and all these things. And if you can't make that happen for them, then you are not doing your job as a parent because all the other families are sending their kids out their other stuff and you better not be the one who doesn't get your kid to ballet. There's that general sense there. So when you look at your schedule and you recognize that you guys are just too busy and you need to pull back because you need at least one night at home as a family to eat at the table, there's a tension inside of you that feels like you're doing something wrong, that this isn't right. Or when you tell your kids that, you know what, we're not going to be part of that sports league because they play games on Sunday mornings, and as much as you love soccer, your eternal life is more important. There's a tension inside of you that feels like I'm not doing my job as a parent. It's the way things work in this world. The tension continues as you get older. This is one that I'm not obviously as familiar with, but I, I read about it. And so after worship, if some of you who are more in this, this stage in your life want to give me your feedback on this, I, I'd love to hear it. Um, I've read articles about sometimes like our world communicates to people who are retired that you're supposed to now just relax all the time and, and check off your bucket list. Now, I know you might say, some of you have told me you're busier now after you retire than, than before. I, I understand that. But I mean, like, there's like this idea that you're supposed to focus on bucket, this is bucket list time. You do you. And so when you recognize that God has you here for a purpose to serve and make a difference in the world, and that if he didn't have you here to use your spiritual gifts, you would already be with Jesus. When you start really trying to carry that out and live that out, there's actually a tension. It's like, well, aren't I supposed to just, like, check off my bucket list now? That there can be a tension inside of you. You put these things together, these three examples I just shared, that's a lot of tension, and we haven't even begun talking about what people say around you. Right? That's just the internal tension. So then when you think about the external tension, it just adds on more. I think about the conversations I have with young people, and, and they talk about how, you know, yeah, I know God doesn't want me to be that way with my girlfriend. But then people around say, but you know what? Don't you love her? It'd probably make you closer together. You should do that. There's a tension. Or people say, what do you mean you're not going to come with us here? Do you think you're better than us, church kid? Or... I know I can just imagine the tension in the families, young families, when you say to other parents, yeah, we're actually not going to enroll in that because it's just too much. Or that tension with the coach where you say, yeah, I know they've got a lot of skill, but you know what? Team practices on Sundays, and I'm not cool with that. There's tension there. Or maybe as 
maybe as uh, those who are retired where you say to your friends or maybe to your kids, I know you want me to go do these things, but God's calling me to serve in this way, and I'm going to do that. There's tension all around us. God calls us to step forward into a life where sometimes what we do, you might look at it and go, them's, them's fighting words. There's a tension building. Now what's interesting in our lesson is as the tension builds, <clears throat> Jesus does also give them something to say. And they do it. Again, we've got to give props to the disciples here because we're told that they answered as Jesus had told them to and then the people let him go. So what did Jesus tell them to do? Jesus told them to say, if anyone, well, Jesus said, if anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell him, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. I look at that, and I'm like, Jesus, that's it? <laughs> I don't know, I feel like you're, somebody gets all upset about me taking the donkey, and all you want me to say is, well, the Lord needs it. He'll bring it back later. Eileen, I just need your purse for now. I'll bring it back later. Like, how would that go? Right? But that's what he tells them to say. And they do it. And it works. It's kind of amazing. I wonder in those moments where we face this, those moments where that tension builds, you might go, well, God hasn't given me a specific directive of what to say here. And maybe at the same time, there are things that we can say that do come from God. I was listening to a video the other day. Um where the person said, if a person asks you why you did this, telling them that God called me to it is a really great answer. You know, if you are convinced that this is what God wants you to do, and somebody says, why, did you, why are you doing what you're doing? And your answer is, because God called me to this, or God's word says this, that's a really great answer. But it's an answer that I know we can be hesitant to share or to give. To say, God, call me to that. You know, to think about yeah, when people are trying to say, you should come and do this with us. And you say, I'm not going to because God doesn't want me to do that. That can be a tough answer to say. You can feel we, we don't want to be that weird religious person. Right? Or to say, to tell the sports coach, we're not going to do that because you know what? God has called us to worship him and to, put him, to seek him first. Over all these other things. That can be really hard to say. Or to say, you know, yeah, friends, family, I'm going to do this because God has called me to use my gifts in this way. If you're like me, you find that even though, I, even though I'm a pastor, I might say God has called me to abiding shepherd, but often in my regular conversation, I don't often say, well, God has called me to do this thing. I don't know if it's just because it feels weird or awkward. Or maybe... For me, sometimes I think it's because I, I am naturally a peacekeeper. I don't know if you figure that out about me. Um, but I am naturally, like, I just always gear towards making peace, which is a good thing a lot of times. But just like every good thing, the flip side of it is also a bad thing. And sometimes I try to avoid conflict. And I know if I say, well, God called me to this, it might prompt some conflict. Especially because I think about, too, sometimes... When I live out my faith, sometimes when I live out my faith, I live it out in ways that are different than some of the Christians around me. And, but I have reasons for doing it. And I, I know if they say, why do you do that? And I say, well, you know what? I think God says that. Next thing you know, we got to debate. 
And so I pull back in fear and don't trust God to do his thing. Don't trust that when Jesus says, tell him the Lord called you to it, that he's going to work in it. And maybe that's you too. If that's you too, this is another just clear example of how, you know what, God calls us to be on his side and we, we, we don't embrace it. We don't go forward and do things God's way. And it's another example of how we don't deserve to be, to be with God. We deserve to be separated from him. That's why I love that in this lesson, it's part of this bigger story of how Jesus is waging a fight. When Jesus says, go get that donkey, go get that colt, Jesus is saying fighting words. There is a whole flavor of fighting going on here in this, in this scene. The roots for it are back in that lesson we read from Zechariah chapter 9. I encourage you to read that whole chapter later. Because that's a section that is talking about God taking on the enemies of his people. And how God's going to bring peace to his people. Jesus, when he rides into Jerusalem, is taking on the enemies of his people. He is bringing peace for his people. He is waging a fight. But what surprised everybody was the kind of fight he was waging. Because Jesus recognized that the fight wasn't, he wasn't trying to put fights between people. He was trying to win the fight. He was coming to win the fight within people. He was really, when he called his disciples to go and do that, he knew that he was actually picking a fight with that sinful nature inside of them. And when Jesus rides into Jerusalem, he is picking a fight with the sin and evil in the human heart and in this world. Jesus rides in that day so that later that week, he could lay down his life on a cross and pay for all those times we have gone our own way instead of God's way. All those times that we haven't trusted in God, Jesus paid every bit of justice that those wrong deeds deserved on that cross. And he died there so he could rise again one week after this event and show that he won the victory. Jesus picked a fight with your sin and mine, and he won. He defeated it. When you see Jesus riding in, those are fighting words. Fighting words with your sin, fighting words with everything that's ever made you or this world broken, and he when you think about Jesus' path throughout his ministry, throughout his life, and to this cross, when we let it sink in how he lived in a way that really did, that really was fighting words throughout, when you let that sink in, it can really transform the way we view how we live our lives. So just think for a minute about how he lived in a way that throughout his life seemed to pick fights. Throughout his ministry, when he would go and he would heal people, what would often be the response? Some would be amazed. What would others do? They'd get upset. Who is this guy? Where is his authority coming from? How dare he heal on the Sabbath? What's he doing? Jesus lived in a way where he wasn't trying to like, pick fights against people, but lived in a way that by just by living out his ministry, it prompted a response. Sometimes it was a bit clear, like, for instance, when he you know, flipped over tables, um, like I did a few, like, a few months ago and almost hit Chris with the coins on Sunday morning. You know, that was kind of more abrupt and hostile. And at the same time, it's what needed to be done. And so it did. It triggered a, a response. And all throughout, all the way to the cross, what do you see? People simply, people as Jesus is simply 
obeying, even when he's being silent, what is it doing? It's prompting people to accuse him, to, to speak words against him. And even when he gets to the cross itself, people are making fun of him and mocking him. Throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus was constantly living a life that was fighting words, prompted negativity, prompted hostility, all so that when he went to that cross, he could die for you and for me. He prompted all that hostility so he could win the fight against all that hostility. He lived in a way that prompted negativity, hostility, and it reared its ugly head against him, and it could not prevail against him. Because on Easter Sunday, he rose, and the victory was clear. The whole world of sin and evil went against Jesus. The hostility was there. It reared its ugly head and mocked and made fun of him, and it could not win. Jesus' life was fighting words. And in those fighting words, we see that he won the victory. When that sinks, you and I can embrace fighting words kind of life too. Because we can embrace that, okay, even if, even if by living my faith, it triggers a response. Even if when I live out my faith, there might even be hostility. You know what? If Jesus rose, since Jesus rose, I'm going to rise. Since Jesus won, I'm going to win. And I don't have to be afraid of the fight. I don't have to be afraid of what's out there. I'm not going to go look, looking for trouble. God doesn't call us to go be troublemakers and stir up issues. But God calls us to live out in the truth of who he is and to live his way. And as we do so, that tension's just going to rise. And as that tension rises, maybe we can even begin to view it in this really crazy kind of way like we read about in Acts. Remember Jesus' followers? Peter, those guys, after they had been arrested and then they had been flogged, which is an awful thing, what did they do? What did we read about in Acts chapter 5 when they left? Remember what they did? Go ahead and say it out loud because I want to hear somebody say it. Think of it. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy. Counted worthy. When we embrace this fighting words kind of life, we can begin to rejoice when the tension arises. If, I'm, if I have been living in a way where never anybody says, why are you doing what you're doing? If I'm living my life in a way where I never stick out any different than the world around me, Maybe it's time to step up and embrace really living the Jesus way. Because maybe, maybe, maybe I'm fitting in a little too much. The tension can actually be a good sign. A good sign that we are stepping forward and living the Jesus way. And maybe you don't have people around you very much that aren't Christians. And if, and if so, praise the Lord that you have a wonderful Christian family. I'm not saying to, to go beat yourself up because you never have that tension. But I want you to recognize that if the tension arises... It can actually be a really good sign. And if you recognize that when the tension arises, there have been times that you have shrunk back in fear or maybe haven't trusted the word of the Lord, remember, Jesus 
picked a fight with your sin and mine. And he has won the victory. You are on his team. You are on his side. And he will continue now to work in you and to work through you, to continue to forgive you and love you, to continue to send his spirit to work in you, to begin to more and more embrace living the Jesus way, to live and to experience and to embrace that the victory really is yours so you can embrace a life that is them's fight.